You are listening to episode 20 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 52, Dray Orbital, 2372, June 26th. Mr. Paul rejoined the ship just before dinner mess, but when they wheeled him aboard, it was obvious that we had some significant challenges yet. Three days in the auto dock hadn't done much for him, and he looked weak and pale. He had never been overly robust, but he looked downright frail in the chair they rolled him aboard in. The corpsman who wheeled him aboard also brought a portfolio of information, a bag of drugs, and some modules for our own auto dock so we could put him in there if things took a turn for the worse. That was a sobering thought, but I wasn't too worried. The autodoc would keep him going for a long time if push came to shove, but that was a very remote possibility, assuming we kept him from falling down any more ladders. He managed to sit up through the dinner mess, but there was never any question that he'd be taking duty any time soon. When we'd finished eating, he was looking pinched and drawn about the mouth. The food probably helped, but he was already at the end of his strength. I started to suggest that he go to his stateroom and sleep, but stopped. Well, it seems we have a bit of an engineering challenge ahead of us, people. They looked at me, and I nodded at Mr. Paul in his chair. Any ideas how we get him up the ladder to his stateroom before he keels over? Mr. Paul rallied a bit. I'm not quite ready to keel over yet, Skipper. He smiled weakly. I'm thinking we have a short window of opportunity, Mr. Paul, and that you need to be sleeping in your own bunk before you do. I could see both Ms. Thomas and Chief Gearhart frowning in concentration, but Mr. Wyatt was looking at the chair, contemplating the wheels. Suggestions, anybody? Ms. Thomas shrugged. He's not that heavy. I could probably carry him up. Mr. Wyatt nodded in agreement. You probably could, especially if a couple of us helped, but that seems a trifle... He paused, looking for the right word. Awkward. The chief suggested, grav pallet? Mr. Wyatt shook his head. It certainly has the lift capacity, but standard grav pallet won't go up the ladder either. It doesn't tilt, and it doesn't have enough deck clearance to lift up. They work well on flat decks, but they're impossible on any incline over 5%. Grav trunk will. We looked at Mr. Paul. Are you suggesting that you get in it, Mr. Paul? <laughs> no, Captain, but I can stand up well enough to sit on one if it were beside the chair. Mr. Wyatt, do you know what a grav trunk is rated to lift? Something on the order of a hundred kilos, Captain. That's probably enough for Mr. Paul here. I looked around the mess deck. Mine's full of kit. Does anybody have an empty one? They all shook heads. Mr. Wyatt, would you nip down to the chandlery and buy one for the ship, please? Charge the Agamemnon account? We'll let the co-op use it when we're done with Mr. Paul here. Aye, aye, Captain. He darted off on his errand. In the meantime, Mr. Paul, how can we make you more comfortable? He took a deep breath and let it out slowly. If I could just sit here for a bit, Captain. He looked around. It's been a rough couple of days, and I'm really glad to be back aboard. Of course, Mr. Paul, relax. Chief Gearhart took a seat on the bench near to where he'd rolled up to the end of the table. Do you remember who did it, how it happened? He shook his head. It was all so fast. I was coming back from the bar. I'd had a few, but I was still tracking. I walked out of the bar, made the turn into the passageway to head for the lift, and woke up in the auto dock. He looked a bit shaken. It's the darndest thing I've ever experienced. He raised a hand to his still bruised face. I think I'm glad I don't remember this happening, but I feel so helpless. 
They could have done anything. I have no idea what. The whole time is just... gone. She reached over and patted his shoulder reassuringly. The medical people looked you over pretty closely. The physical parts will heal up right enough. She smiled gently. The rest, we'll just have to wait and see. We made small talk for another quarter stand before Mr. Wyatt came back with a grav trunk in tow. We all trooped out to the foot of the ladder, wheeling Mr. Paul ahead of us, with Mr. Wyatt bringing the trunk up behind. It took a couple of false starts and some finagling to get Mr. Paul onto the front of the grav trunk's lid, and then Mr. Wyatt lifted the trunk off the deck and started up the ladder with it. It tilted up alarmingly, but Mr. Paul just leaned forward to keep his balance on the front edge. Miss Thomas followed them up to push, but it wasn't necessary. Whatever small field generators they'd built into the trunk did most of the work of lifting, and all Mr. Wyatt had to do was slide him along. It's a little worse than on a level deck, but certainly no strain, Skipper. I grinned. Well, just don't let him slide off or let go of that handle, Mr. Wyatt. One injured crew is enough, and I just as soon not drop that on Ms. Thomas or have Mr. Paul crash into the deck. They laughed, but in less than a tick it was over. I shouldered the empty chair. It was a lightweight affair of tubes, wheels, and fabric without a lot of mass to it. I ran it up the ladder while they towed Mr. Paul to his stateroom. Chief Gerhardt followed up and supervised with a warm smile. Makes you wonder why they don't make these chairs with grav plates in them or something. Mr. Wyatt had an answer. I suspect it has to do with mobility, Chief. You can't push yourself in the grav trunk. Somebody has to drag you. That chair's been around for hundreds of stanniers, and the design's good for what it is. There's never been enough incentive to change it. In a matter of a tick or two, Mr. Paul was dosed up and tucked in. We left him with one of the ship-issue tablets in case he needed to call for help, and then shut off the lights and closed the door. I suspected he might have been asleep before we left. The three senior officers followed me to the cabin, and I stopped at the door to look at them. Miss Thomas had a very satisfied grin on her face, while the chief and Mr. Wyatt looked like they might burst from holding in whatever secret it was they wanted to spring on me. I eyed them dubiously and then swung the door open. You may as well come in and make yourselves comfortable while you tell me. I led them into my cabin, and we settled on the couches. Miss Thomas and Mr. Wyatt sitting cozily together on one while the chief took the far corner of mine. I looked from one to the other. Nobody seemed to want to be the first one to speak. I turned to Miss Thomas. So I should assume that you've had a busy day, Miss Thomas. She shook her head. Oh, no, just a routine day on watch, Skipper. You know how they can get. She pointed at Mr. Wyatt and then the chief. These two, though, had a very interesting day. I looked back and forth between them. Well, one of you, both of you, somebody want to tell me what this is in service of? They nodded at each other and pulled out their tablets, flicked up a screen, and simultaneously turned them so I could see. It took me a moment to figure out what I was looking at. They both showed personnel records. I frowned, trying to compare the two. They were both so different until I got to the bottom of the screen. They both had identical notations. Third mate? The chief laughed delightedly, and even Mr. Wyatt grinned. What's this all about? The chief tucked her tablet back into her holster. It was something you said the other day about any boot third was qualified to stand a bridge watch? Mr. Wyatt chimed in. So we got our heads together and looked over the study guide for the third mate's license and decided to get one. But why? Mr. Wyatt shrugged. I know it's your prerogative to assign duties as you see fit, Captain, but if you're serious about assigning us to bridge watch while underway, we thought we should at least have a fig leaf to cover us if something should go wrong. But you're both chief officers in your own divisions. Why would anybody complain? 
Miss Thomas took that question. Nobody in the fleet would think twice, Skipper. But what about the insurance company? We've got a clearly incapacitated second mate. You're certainly qualified to do the comms and systems work, and we can split astrogation without anybody complaining. But the bridge watch should be an officer certified in deck division, if for no other reason than to make sure the insurers have no wiggle room to deny a claim. We're getting underway short-handed, and I certainly don't want to go watch and watch for the next two weeks while Mr. Paul gets his feet under him again, do you? I thought about that and grimaced at the idea. No, not really. They all three nodded. They had me, and I knew it. I just needed to let them tell me how badly and in which direction. So, what's the plan? They nodded for Miss Thomas to continue. Mr. Ricks will swap with Mr. Schubert. These two boot-thirds will take turns as O.D. on the second section. Mr. Schubert's the best ship handler we have, and they'll be able to depend on him to keep things flying without much supervision. Mr. Ricks and I get along just fine, and you and Mr. Hill will keep third. They split the load and get some experience in the bargain. It certainly wouldn't hurt to get cross-trained. I looked at my new third mates. You two are okay with this? They shrugged, and Mr. Wyatt grinned. We thought of it, Skipper. Not like we're going to back out now. The chief nodded her agreement. It'll be fun for a bit. Break up the routine. See how the other half lives. Her light and playful tone turned a bit more serious. Realistically, how long do you think Mr. Paul will need to recoup? I took a deep breath and let it out slowly while I considered. He's pretty beaten up, but the only thing they found really damaged was his leg. It's a clean break, and the quick-knit was already stabilizing the break when I visited him yesterday. I shook my head. I'd say a couple of weeks at least. I'm hoping we have him on the bridge by the time we jump. That gives him a little more than three weeks to recover. That's on the outside. I suspect he'll be trying to crawl up to the bridge within a week. They all shared a laugh at that thought. I looked around at them. Thanks, that was good thinking. I appreciate your initiative here, and I believe it's a much better solution than I could have come up with. They beamed. Miss Thomas rose and pulled Mr. Wyatt up from the sofa. Come on, good looking. This is our last night in port, and I want to go dancing. He groaned in mock dismay, but grinned as she pulled him to his feet. The chief rose, too. I better go see if anything's broken. We'll see you in the morning, Skipper. They all trooped out and closed the door gently behind them. The glare from the orbital skin was a bit bright, and I pondered my decision not to get some kind of curtain for when we were in port. It was only a few days at a time, and I kept thinking it wasn't that bad. I also pondered how I managed to get such a strange and wonderful crew. They were correct, of course. I'd completely overlooked the insurance aspect. I shouldn't have. That was a mistake on my part. I didn't think that it would matter, but when there's insurance money at stake, the careful customer dots all the I's and crosses every T. They were also correct about it being little more than a fig leaf if something desperate actually happened while one of them was on watch. I sighed, mostly in satisfaction. It was a nice cabin, and the couch was comfy. I got up and went to bed, though, before I started thinking about how much I wanted somebody to share that couch with. I had the day watch in the morning, but I could use a little extra sleep. Chapter 53, Diurnia System, 2372, September 9th. The tug caught us for our final approach to Diurnia just after lunch mess. The 43-day run set no records, but was free of incident. With Mr. Wyatt and the chief trading off on OD watch, Mr. Paul was able to rest and heal. For the first week, we only took him up and down the ladder for dinner mess so he could get out of his stateroom for a bit each day. The small movement seemed to help. 
By the end of that first week, he was able to move around in his cast relatively freely, and we only had to make sure he didn't try to go up or down the ladder without a spotter to make sure he didn't trip and fall. Within ten days, he was standing watches again, and the merry-go-round began to spin once more. It felt odd going into Diurnia knowing that nobody really waited there for me. As I sat in the chair and watched the tug maneuver us into position, I felt none of the anticipation I normally felt as the ship got close to what felt like home to me for so long. The sense that Diurnia was just another port was stronger than it had been on the way out. I hadn't realized just how much that compass of home had drawn me until it was gone. With each passing moment, I couldn't help but think of Jen. This time it wasn't in anticipation of homecoming, but rather with sadness for having been so misguided in the first place. There was a reason that Spacer didn't marry Station. I knew it going in, but believed myself to be exempt. She probably knew it, too. The Staniers, when I dreaded getting underway because of the inevitable fight, pained me the most. That was a clue, a symptom of a problem that I should have recognized and dealt with. Instead, I just chalked it up to her being unreasonable and continued down my own selfish path. In the wisdom of hindsight, I had to give her credit for fighting so long. As we nudged in for final docking, I wondered if anybody would understand that I didn't ask for a divorce because of who she might be sleeping with, but rather that having my face rubbed in it like that just crystallized the reality that neither of us was getting what we needed from the relationship. It was a seven-stanier habit that needed to be broken. She just started ahead of me. I probed that wound several times, but found it was already healing over. It was still tender, but it wasn't bleeding anymore. We latched on, and I suppressed a sigh. It was quiet enough on the bridge, and I didn't want to have to explain it. Secure from navigation stations, Miss Thomas. Feel free to declare liberty when the customs people have cleared us to leave the ship. Aye, aye, Captain. It was just about 1700 when I got back to my cabin and ran through the docking protocols. The formal customs declarations had been filed long since, and we just needed to go through the pro forma inspections. The Agamemnon was a known entity, and they cleared us with a perfunctory examination of the embargo locker and a formal examination of manifest and crew. A message from A. Paquette, solicitor, showed up in my inbox, and she requested that I contact her office when convenient. I did treat myself to a sigh then. It would have been nice if she'd said why. My paranoid side said, uh-oh, there's a problem. My rational side said, don't borrow trouble. Luckily, I had a practical side that just got me into a fresh undress uniform and headed for the lock to go find out what Ms. A. Paquette, solicitor, wanted to see me about. On the way off the ship, I stopped on the mess deck. I found Mr. Wyatt putting out a light dinner. Ms. Thomas was sitting in her spot at the table looking at the ready cargo list while he prepared. She smiled when I came in. Heading out, Captain. Yes, Miss Thomas. I need to tie off some loose ends before they trip me. I'll miss dinner mess, I expect, Mr. Wyatt. No problem, Skipper. I didn't make much. I think almost everybody will be ashore tonight except for the duty section. What about you two, heading out after mess? Miss Thomas shrugged. We haven't really talked about it yet. She glanced at him coyly. Perhaps we'll find something to do. He caught the glance, and I thought he colored a bit. Well, I've got the watch in the morning, so if you'd like to sleep in, Mr. Wyatt, take the day off tomorrow. I can cover through the dinner mess tomorrow night. I'm hoping it'll be a quiet watch. Thanks, Skipper. I'll take you up on that. Mr. Paul came into the mess deck. His cast had peeled off after about three weeks. The small sensors embedded in it determined that his leg was strong enough on its own and had triggered a chemical change in the compound of the cast. That change allowed Mr. Paul to basically wash the cast off in the shower, and after a couple of weeks of climbing the stairs, 
He was showing no outward signs of his ordeal. Heading out, Skipper. Yes, Mr. Paul, I have to take care of some business. I should be back in two or three stands. Understood, Captain. He nodded and smiled at me before relieving Miss Thomas. I headed down to the O-1. Miss Paquette was with a client when I entered, but the staffer showed me a quiet waiting room with some comfy chairs. She'll be only a few more moments, Captain. Please, make yourself comfortable and let me know if you need anything. I thanked him and settled into the nearest lounger. I took the opportunity to check on the ready cargo list. We hadn't picked any cans yet. The bet was over, and we were waiting on the final tally to come in from DST on how much the latest shipment had grossed the ship. It would have an effect on our shares, but most importantly, would be reflected in the winner of the bet. So much had changed in the eight months since I'd made that bet with Mr. Hill. I recognized that the balance of luck was definitely on my side, even with the setbacks on the priority cargo and the personal issues that had brought me to the lawyer's office to begin with. The staffer returned after only a few ticks and escorted me to the inner sanctum. Miss Paquette rose to shake my hand before settling back into her chair behind the desk. Thank you for coming so soon after docking, Captain, she smiled. I have duty tomorrow, so I thought it would be expedient to find out what you needed as soon as possible. She nodded and accepted a packet of paperwork from her assistant with a smile and a nod of thanks. The assistant left us alone while Miss Paquette opened the package and started pulling out paper. Your ex-wife signed the papers, Captain. Your divorce hearing was held on August 1st, with no objections placed by her counsel. Your ex-wife took the settlement you offered and made no counter-demands on her own behalf. Since you made none against her, the adjudication hearing was pro forma and the degree finalized on September 1st. At each step, she held up a particular form or sheet. As of that date, your marriage was ended, and you have no other legal obligations under the contract. I took a deep breath and let it out. Hearing it all laid out like that, cut, dried, done, reminded me that while I might be mostly healed, it was still a sore subject. The apartment. The lease was terminated, effective September 1st. We hired a moving company to pack up. Your ex-wife took the furnishings and household gear. Your clothing and assorted memorabilia were placed in storage. She pulled a key card out of the packet and added that to the pile. It was on the tip of my tongue to ask where Jan was, but I'd forfeited the right to know that with the divorce. Do you have any other requirements for my firm, Captain Wong? No, Miss Paquette, I can't think of anything else, but am I overlooking anything? From a legal standpoint, can you think of something that I should be considering? She thought about the question, or at least appeared to. No, Captain, I think it's all over now, unless you find something in the storage locker that's a problem. You do have some recourse if there are things missing, but there's a limitation on how long you have to file a claim. I'd check that as soon as possible if I were you. Thank you, Miss Paquette, I'll do that. Frankly, I doubt that there's much there that I want. She nodded and gathered up the package of materials again, putting them all neatly back in the folder. In that case, Captain, there's only the matter of your final billing and we're done. Would you like me to send you an invoice? Do you have it ready? She looked surprised. One moment and I'll see. She went out to the outer office and returned with the tablet a few moments later. We've just added this visit to the total, Captain. She handed me the tablet. I scrolled down through the listings. It wasn't an inconsiderable list, but each item seemed proper and appropriate. The total at the bottom was rather hefty, but not as much as I'd given Jen as a settlement. I thumbed it for payment and handed it back to her. If you'd forward an electronic copy of that showing payment, Ms. Paquette, thank you for your help. She smiled and took my hand. My pleasure, Captain. Would that all my cases were as readily handled as this one. She handed me the packet of official paper and walked me to the door. 
In the passageway outside the office, I looked down at the packet. It seemed thin and light to hold the end of a marriage. I snorted a short laugh. Given the history, thin and light probably was a good description after all. The storage locker turned out to hold just a few boxes with Ishmael clothing scrawled on the ends. I made arrangements with the storage company to have them delivered to the ship the next day, headed down to the chandlery. I needed to see a man about a hot tub. I was still waiting for the final numbers, but I was pretty sure how it was going to go. By the time I got out of the chandlery, it was nearly 2100, and I was running on empty. When I got into the lift, I punched the down button and made a beeline for over easy. When I pushed through the door, the place wasn't exactly packed, but there was a good crowd. Almost all the booths were filled and a goodly number of the tables. I dithered for a moment just inside the door, and my luck held as a stool opened on the counter. It wasn't my normal stool, but it was better than nothing. I could have taken a table, but it just wasn't the same. The guy behind the counter looked familiar, and his name tag read Seth. I thought I'd seen him before, but they all had a very similar look. He gave me the normal chin-up reverse nod, and I spieled off my standard order. He grinned, poured coffee, wrote down the order, and slipped it into the clip with a hearty, Order, Frank! I sipped the coffee gratefully and scoped out the place. The crowd was still largely sober. In spite of being an around-the-clock operation, most people still did their serious drinking later in the evening and into the early morning hours. It always struck me as odd each time I observed it. As a land rat, it seemed normal to me, but as a spacer used to watchstanding, I found it interesting that even watchstanders tended to carouse on a day worker's schedule. My food slid onto the counter in front of me and Seth warmed the coffee. The rest of the room faded away as I tucked in. It was delicious, filling, and gone in just about four ticks. It never ceased to amaze me how quickly a plate of food could disappear. I was certain that some of it must melt into the air while I was chewing. I sighed happily, though, and slid the plate back across the counter. Seth gave a knowing smirk as he cleared away and offered another refill on the coffee. I nodded to accept it, and he topped it off. Anything else, Captain? I gave my head a little shake, and he held a tab for me to pay. A quick stroke of the thumb, and we were square. I sipped my coffee and looked around a bit more. This wasn't my usual seat, and it gave me a different perspective on the room. Normally I sat at one end or the other so I could get a good look at the other patrons without appearing to gawk. The seat midway along the counter kept my back to the door and most of the room. It gave me a good look into the kitchen, though, and I could see the back of Frank's head bobbing around back there as he shuffled food and plates, dealing out the orders like a blackjack dealer on a hot Saturday night. I wondered how long he'd been doing the job. There'd always been a Frank in the kitchen. Well, almost always. I knew there were other cooks, and sometimes there were a couple of them on during the busiest times. I drank off half the mug of coffee and pushed the remainder toward the back of the counter. A new party of spacers came noisily through the door, and I took that as my cue to leave. With a nod to Seth, I vacated the stool and headed back to the ship and my bunk. Chapter 54, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, September 9th. Mr. Hill and I relieved the watch at 0545. I opened the breakfast mess at 0600. Mr. Paul and Mr. Schubert stayed around to join us, and the chief showed up looking bright-eyed and chipper compared to Mr. Paul's rather pallid and rumpled appearance. We shared a quiet, if companionable meal before sending the midwatch off to sleep. Mr. Hill took his station at the brow, and the chief helped me clear. Have you given any thought as to the hot tub, chief? I've had several, actually, Captain, but I'm guessing you're not talking about those. I chuckled a bit. Actually, I was referring to the installation issues. 
She shook her head. No. Why? Are we going to have a hot tub? She turned to look at the unchanged status numbers. Did Mr. Hill win? I glanced at the entry and shook my head. No, not yet. The final numbers should be down today, and we need to get a cargo lined up for departure before tomorrow. I grinned ruefully. I'm used to having the cans lined up and locked down by now. Maybe we should keep this arrangement going. She considered that and gave a little shrug. Maybe. But do you think he's going to win? I gave my head a little shake. No, I don't think he'll win. Mr. Wyatt was in the lead in the preliminary numbers. Then why would I be thinking about installing a hot tub, Captain? She looked at me coyly. Well, I'm thinking it's such a good idea we ought to have one anyway. Her face lit up and split in a grin. I like the way you think, Skipper. Why, thank you, Chief. Her approval felt better than I thought it should have, but I smiled back. Just then my tablet bipped and I opened the message. Well, I'll be. What is it? I held up the tablet so she could read it. Mr. Hill won. She frowned at the numbers and then looked up at the scores posted by the cargo list. She looked back and forth several times before laughing loudly. By one credit? I nodded. One credit is as good as a million. Well, not if I'm getting paid share of it, Captain. I'd take the million. She made me laugh at that. Good point, Chief. But for the bet, we didn't say he had to win by a particular margin. You better go start prepping that area back there for a hot tub. Well, we have a little while before we need to worry about that, don't we, Skipper? I looked at the chronometer. I'd guess about ten ticks, Chief. She blinked in confusion. How can that be? Because I expect the Chandlery crew to be up here about that time and looking to install a hunt tub. She finally caught up with me. You've already ordered it. Last night. Either way, it was a sure bet. She frowned and snickered a little. How do you figure that, Skipper? Well, either Mr. Hill won, I held up my tablet, and I pay off the bet by getting a hot tub for the crew, or Mr. Wyatt won and I get a hot tub for the crew. I made a show of considering it. I don't see a downside to this, do you? She hesitated for just about four heartbeats. If there is, I don't see it, Skipper. Let me go see what kind of shape the room is in and start some kind of prep. With that, she ambled out of the mess deck and I followed her out, heading for the lock. Mr. Hill, congratulations. He looked up as I approached. Thank you, Captain. For what? You beat Mr. Wyatt after five trips. Your picking beat his. He blinked in disbelief. How is that even possible, Captain? I shrugged. When the dust settled, your total was higher than his. By one credit. He barked a laugh. One? Over five picks, I beat him by one miserable credit? I held up my tablet so he could see the numbers. One credit, Mr. Hill. It's all you needed to win. He shook his head. I can't believe it. He leaned in to look at my tablet more closely, and then he looked me in the eye. You beat us both by ten kilocreds, Captain? I got lucky. We should be taking cargo picking lessons from you, Captain. He looked amazed. Yeah, we're all in the same crew, Mr. Hill, and we were operating under artificial constraints. He scratched his nose and glanced at me sideways. So, we're getting the hot tub, Captain? I smiled. Yes, Mr. Hill, you won the bet. We're getting the hot tub. He beamed. That's excellent, Captain. Do you think we'll have it before we get underway? I made a show of considering the question. I believe that can be arranged, Mr. Hill, yes. The call buzzer broke into the conversation. That should be the delivery now. He cleaned the lock, and we went out to meet the shipfitters. Charlie, it's good to see you again. Hello, Captain, he grinned back. More remodeling? Well, I need to pay off a bet with my crew. They delivered, and now I need to. I've got the equipment, and I brought a couple of piping specialists today. Where do you want it? 
We led them into the ship, and I took Charlie and his gang back to where the chief was pulling exercise equipment out of the workout room. I left them to the details and headed back to the mess deck. Mr. Hill called to me before I made the turn, and I went out to the lock to see what he needed. Yes, Mr. Hill. Captain, how did that crew get here so fast? I'm not sure I follow, Mr. Hill. You haven't been keeping up with your lying practice, Skipper. I shrugged apologetically. I haven't had much cause to lately, Mr. Hill. You just got those final numbers on the bat, Skipper, but that crew showed up within a dozen ticks. True, Mr. Hill. I smiled at him. And you find that odd? Well, Skipper, it sort of implies that you must have ordered that hot tub sometime yesterday at the latest. Why, yes, I believe that's a valid assessment, Mr. Hill. Before you knew if I'd won or not. True again. And last night it looked like Mr. Wyatt was going to win it. Yes, Mr. Hill, it did. Your logical construction leads you to only one conclusion, I trust. Yes, Captain. You were going to get the hot tub whether I won or not. I believe that would be a fair conclusion, Mr. Hill. Do you have a problem with that? He frowned. Why, Captain? I thought it sounded like a great idea. And win or lose, the ship made more than enough profit to cover it. For the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about how nice it would be to take a nice hot soak after watch. You don't expect me to actually be Mr. Wyatt's apprentice in return or anything, do you, Captain? He looked a little wary. No, Mr. Hill, a bet's a bet, and this one's over and paid. You're under no obligation. That seemed to mollify him, and he nodded. Okay, then, Skipper. Thank you, and thanks for the chance to try to beat him. Thanks for laying the challenge out there. It's paid off handsomely for the ship and for all of us, I think. I started ahead to the galley, but another thought struck me, and I turned back to him. Will you take your cargo rating and try to find another berth, Mr. Hill? He looked at me seriously. I thought about it, Captain, but unless something drastically better comes along, I think I'd like to stay here and see what happens next. Thank you, Mr. Hill. I appreciate your candor. I went into the mess deck and poured a cup of coffee before settling at the table, pulling up the cargo lists. I didn't expect to spot anything, but it passed the time before I needed to start on lunch. The installation of the hot tub took most of the day, but by the time I started dealing with the dinner mess, Charlie and his crew were picking up their tools and policing the area. Chief Gearhart appeared at the entrance to the mess deck and grinned. You might want to come check this out before they get all packed up, Skipper. Why? Is there something wrong with it? She shook her head. Oh, no. It looks great to me. I followed her back to the workout room. The tub was not one of the larger models. Realistically, no more than a half a dozen people needed to be able to use it at a time. More likely, it would be a couple of us at once, maybe as many as four, but with watches underway and Liberty Wall docked, it was plenty large enough for what I thought we'd need. Roughly oblong with rounded corners, a molded cowling latched to a frame on the deck and concealed the plumbing works. The whole thing was a little more than a meter tall and extended from the bulkhead about two meters in one direction and three in the other. It was already about half full of water and was slowly filling as we watched. Charlie came over to point out the main features, You'll want to wait until it's full, Captain, and then you can start up the heaters. I've left the full instructions with the chief here, but this should be a warm treat in the deep dark. I nodded as I admired his work. Thanks, Charlie. I'm looking forward to it myself. He pointed out things like the safety lid that locked down to prevent sloppage and the automatic cutoffs that prevented scalding the crew. He was grinning. Wait till you try the jets, Skipper. I've been in a hot tub before, Charlie. I think I know what jets do. He grinned knowingly. All right, Captain, but don't say I didn't tell you. He signaled his crew and they all trooped back to the lock, and I got on with fixing dinner. I didn't expect too many people aboard, but I had a mind to make a nice beef roast with vegetables. The leftovers, if there were any, would make a good soup. 
At 1700, Mr. Wyatt and Miss Thomas came back aboard, and by 1715, Mr. Ricks was aboard as well, bringing the co-op goods back to the ship with Mr. Schubert's help. I revised my estimate for dinner and added a few more vegetables to the pot. Mr. Wyatt joined me after changing out of his civvies. Nice day off, Mr. Wyatt. Yes, Captain, thank you. It was lovely. He had a dreamy smile on his face, and I didn't pry. Anything new here? Mr. Hill won the bet. I glanced at him as I said it. Oh, excellent. I was hoping he would. I'd much rather have the hot tub than an assistant. Well, we have the hot tub. He blinked at me. Already? Ship fitters left half a stand ago. Tub's filling now and should be up to temp by this time tomorrow. You acted very fast. I shrugged. I ordered it last night. He looked surprised. Did you think he'd win last night? No. He won by one cred. The numbers came down around 0830. He whistled appreciatively. That's cutting it fine. He turned to peeling the extra carrots, and we got the dinner mess underway in record time. As it happened, everybody but Mr. Paul was aboard for dinner, and I hoped that he wouldn't be falling down any more ladders. At 1745, Miss Thomas and Mr. Ricks relieved the watch, and Mr. Hill joined us on the mess deck. Mr. Wyatt greeted him warmly. Congratulations, Mr. Hill. Thank you, sir. He nodded in acknowledgment. Did the captain tell you what his total was? Mr. Wyatt turned on me. Your total, Captain? I did pretty well. He beat us by ten kilocreds, Mr. Wyatt. Miss Thomas, who was sitting at the table, laughed. You've been hiding your light under a bushel, Captain. Mr. Wyatt raised an eyebrow. Any special knowledge, Skipper? Tips for us working stiffs? <laughs> no, Mr. Wyatt. Almost all of it was because of the early delivery bonus on that very first can. It was luck more than anything. Mr. Wyatt mugged toward Mr. Hill. The captain says luck, Mr. Hill. I think he's holding out. Well, we need a shipment, don't we, Mr. Wyatt? Mr. Hill was having fun with me. Maybe we should get the captain to show us how it's done. The level of joviality was quite high, and the chief joined us as the chrono ticked up towards 1800. I looked over my shoulder from where I was draining vegetables, just in time to see a three-can cargo with a high priority hit the top of the free cargo list on the repeater. Uh, Mr. Hill, my hands are wet. Would you check the delivery date on that priority? He turned to look and then dove for the keyboard to drill into the record. November 5th, Skipper, eight weeks. Mr. Wyatt, you're the cargo officer here, and I'm up to my elbows in hot food. In your professional opinion, is that a cargo we should take? He was already sprinting for the terminal, and a tick later the cargo status changed to show we had a cargo bound for break-all. He was grinning broadly as he came back into the mess deck. Skipper, your system's certified. Is there any way we can modify my tablet so it'll place an order? See me after mess, Mr. Wyatt. I'll show you. I'd wondered why he always went to the cargo terminal to place orders, but I assumed it was for some personal reason. I chuckled to myself. That would probably not actually teach me, but it was certainly one more lesson in making assumptions. Dinner mess went smoothly, and everybody helped clean up after, except Mr. Ricks, who went back to his watch station. By 1930, I'd shown Mr. Wyatt how to slave the cargo terminal to his tablet and headed to my cabin. I settled at my desk and filed a flight plan to break hall with departure set for the 13th. That gave us a full four-day port stay, and if the preliminary course projections were anywhere close, we'd be in break all a week before the deadline on the cargo. I clicked through the pending reports and by 2000 sat back in my chair, a feeling of, now what, washed over me. I found it unsettling. I looked around my cabin, and with the exception of the glare from the port, I liked what I saw. 
I looked at the port and wondered for the umpteenth time if I should do something about the light reflecting from the side of the orbital, but decided for the umpteenth time that it wasn't worth the effort because we'd be underway soon and I'd have weeks of deep dark to look at, and I couldn't think of what I could do that would cut the glare short of blocking the port. There was also the unsettling feeling of being single. I tried to get a handle on that. For over seven stanyards, I'd had a commitment that needed to be honored. That was gone, and it felt like it had disappeared suddenly. Sure, I'd known it was going away for weeks, but the packet of papers in my grav trunk said it was over. The reality of it was upon me, and I wanted to feel jubilant. I wanted to feel freed. I wanted to feel something. I hadn't really expected that I'd feel numb. The cabin felt like home, but I needed to get out for a while and stretch my legs. I wasn't really sure I wanted to be around people, but I also didn't want to spend the evening sitting there feeling sorry for myself. I headed for my civvies, and an old ritual came back to me as I was washing up. I grinned as I clipped my fingernails. Thanks for listening to Captain Share. A Trader's Tale from the Golden Age of the Solar Clipper. Music is the Mason's Apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.